Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class. Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing. Do you have a recommendation for someone wanting to sort of dabble in French uh, fantasy? Is there anything that, you know... No, I do. I mean, um, a a series that actually I tried to acquire, but um, wasn't able to, um, by Christelle Dabot, which which actually is very... um, I think one of her main influences is Miyazaki. Um, She... um, I'm trying to remember... Let me just Google what the English translation of the um, series was. I think it's the Mirror Walker series. Um, I think all four volumes of this series have been published in English now. Um, and the first one is called A Winter's Promise. Uh, yes, A Winter's Promise. The Mirror Visitor, that's what it's called. The Mirror Visitor series. And uh, they are YA, um, a sort of steampunk YA, very influenced by Miyazaki, set in a kind of, um, well, to begin with anyway, a kind of steampunky Versailles uh, fantasy world full of backstabbing and plotting and intrigue. And it's sort of seductive, but at the same time, very cruel and quite a scary place. Uh, you know, I absolutely loved it. I really recommend those. I think that's a great example of the kind of originality that um, French fantasy writing can offer. Yes, and um, going back to the Dutch experience, um, you very recently sent me, is it The King of the Copper Mountain? Oh, yes. Um, yeah. yeah, which is uh, an, obviously a classic work, but that's something I have found myself recommending to particularly parents with children who are just learning to get secure in reading because it has an element of repetition. But also what's really interesting about that is the good-heartedness of it. It's definitely something where you feel, oh, this is a really lovely, kind world. You've got sort of wonderfully absurd things happening, like um, a series of bees turning up and telling a story and a dragon who gets hacked in the the stables. So, um, but it's not, it doesn't follow... Because it's a series of stories, it doesn't sort of follow a a conventional pattern. You, you're always surprised by it. Yes. Yeah, so I think that's what's, what's like about interesting that. about it and what makes it so – one of the reasons why it's been so popular because it's it's just so perfect for reading aloud, I think, with, mm. with children, which I think is so important. I think, well, that's why I – fell in love with reading in the first place is being read to aloud and, um, you know, and not just picture books. Um, my mum and I would read novels together. And um, and this is a novel for, I'd say, seven plus children. 
uh, but one that you could just have great fun reading about at bedtime. And it's split into these little chapters, self-contained. Um, well, and as you say, it's it's so gentle and warm, and there's just this feeling of of goodness about it that is really appealing. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, and a wonderful role model for an older king. I actually made a list of um, top 10 fantasy royalty over the Queen's Jubilee oh, right. weekend. And that came in on my list because I thought that's a really nice version of a king. Someone who everybody's welcome. You know, we'll fit you in yeah. somewhere in the house. Yeah. So if you were going to look back at remember yourself as a child, what were your um, go-to books perhaps fantasy books maybe that, mm. that inspired you on the path. You mentioned that you read together with your parents, but yeah. what's your your favourites from back then? Well, uh, so many really. Um, I really enjoy thinking about those times because I just loved, um, I just fell in love with reading quite early on and um, there were so many amazing books for me to discover. I think probably the first, one of the first books that I read and um one of the probably the first fantasy book that I read was fittingly was The Hobbit um, by Tolkien, which you know just kind of blew me away. And um, you know, I was pretty soon I was like running around the playground at school trying to get people to play it, being like elves and dwarves and, and hobbits with me, <laughs> and uh, became obsessed. And you know, and read The Lord of the Rings, and then I think that just gave me a taste for all kind of all things magical. And uh, I read so many classics really that i that i just loved by authors like uh diana win jones and penelope lively the ghost of thomas kemp also mm. an oxford oxfordshire based book i think um alan garner you know the weird stone of brisingerman and and sequels um and then i, I really got into um brian jack's the red wall books oh yes i was very Yes, those are animal fables, aren't they, for those yeah, who may not have come across them? Yeah, they're kind of like Sylvanian families meets Braveheart, kind of <laughs> about this um, all set around Red, Redwall Abbey, Abbey, which is like an abbey in the middle of a sort of bucolic landscape populated by these um, lovely um, woodland animals like mice and moles and, and rabbits, and uh, they're invariably besieged by an army of rats and uh, foxes and all the scary woodland animals, basically. And it would culminate in a big battle, and uh, I just couldn't get enough of them. I must have read, I don't know, but I'd read them many, many times. Um, and then uh, another author that I think I, I moved on to because he also um, had the uh, had mice as the uh, stars of his stories was um, Robin Jarvis, Um I don't know if you're familiar with his Deptford Mice books and also the Whitby Witches. Yeah. Um, oh, I absolutely love those. They're, they're, they're very different from Redwall in the sense that they are much more magical, much darker and scarier. I mean, I think you could call them a horror, really. Um, there are some really frightening moments, some really tragic moments too. A real sense of magic and um, otherworldliness about them that... I can sort of still feel now when I think about them. And that's something that I, the, the scariness and the, the darkness that I found in those books is something that I think is quite rare actually for to find in children's books, something that I loved and something that I think perhaps there should be more of. Um, 
we're publishing a, um, a Finnish children's novel this autumn. It's called History of Raspberry Hill. Um, and it's a kind of, it's a gothic, a gothic mystery um, set in a, um, a sanatorium in a snowy Finnish forest in the 1920s. And it's about a young 12-year-old girl who gets sent there to recover from uh, tuberculosis. But she soon discovers that, you know, there are some mysterious goings on at this sanatorium and she tries to get to bottom, the bottom of them. But, um, well, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it doesn't all go well. And it turns out to be quite a dangerous and scary place. And uh, I heard the, the author of that, Eva France, um, she talked quite eloquently about how it's important to write scary stories for children because when a child is reading a story, they're in control of their of what they're imagining and what they're picturing in their mind's eye, and they can they can sort of make it as scary or as uh, you know or tone it down as much as they want, or they can stop when they want and go on when they when they feel ready. It's not like when you're being assaulted by um, images from a TV screen, for example. Um, so yeah, and I agree with her. I think scary children's books there should be more of them. Um, and then on my journey, I suppose, well, I could go, I could sit here forever listing all of the children's books that I loved. But um, when I was 11, I think it was when um, Northern Lights came out um, by Philip Pullman. And that just blew my mind as well. Like I never read anything like that before. I remember taking it on holiday. And uh, yeah, it was just incredible. I think it had all of the magic and adventure that I was used to and sort of addicted to by that time but it also just had all this such depth and all these new ideas and references that I you know led me down new paths um and also this I loved something that really sort of sparked my imagination was this um this idea of alternate worlds the idea that um you know things could be different if only for just some small changes here and there we could be living in a completely different world and that's once you once you realize that it sort of opens the door to thinking about so many more fascinating things it is interesting that the modern well they've been around since early in the 20th century but the sort of sort of multiverse concepts have always yeah. existed in fantasy with the the underhill the world of the fae and you know the traveling between worlds has happened we obviously traditionally we all knew something didn't we because it's always yeah. been there in story it just took the physicist a while to figure it out so yeah, yeah. it makes me think of another um another great classic that i loved when i was a kid um the worlds of willoughby chase by joan aiken which i didn't even mm. realize at the time was like an alternate history but it but it, it is isn't it it's like a, it's an england where the glorious revolution never never happened so it's like a catholic england um which i think went over my head to be fair when i first read it but um yeah it's interesting joan aiken is a i remember reading she had some one of the things that she does is really great um titles for her books um yeah. and she i think she perhaps has been a little bit forgotten uh, mm -hmm. i remember there was a story a collection of stories of her because the necklace of raindrops which i kept borrowing again and, and again from the library because I just love the title more than anything else about it um yeah, yeah. and again with illustrations I've got several of hers on my my um classic children's bookshelf in the other room so what about now um and you don't have to confine yourself to children's books um what's your 
top read of the last decade, would you say? Ooh. A fantasy novel. Um, I find it quite hard to... I mean, I read... Uh, what was Susanna Clark's new book called? Uh, Piranesi. Piranesi last year, which I which I loved. I thought that was just almost impossibly mysterious and intriguing, and like really paid off in the end. Um, and I guess that that reminded me. Uh, this is probably more than a decade ago now that um, Jonathan Clark, uh, Jonathan Strange, and Mister Norrell, yeah, that's the one, came out. Uh, that yeah. was that. I thought that was really striking. Just the sense of weirdness and otherness. Um, and like menace that she gave her um, magical environments is uh, really distinctive and like really stayed with me. Um, I think um, both both her and Margaret Atwood show how you can do fantasy within a, a literary, you know, a literary fiction tradition. Because yes. quite often fantasy gets hived off into genre fiction. Yes. Um, and and people who sort of self-select, they don't go and bother to look what's on the shelf if they don't like, you know, dwarves yeah. and elves and things. But both of those writers have uh, have found a, a route which is respectable as far yeah. as the literary establishment is concerned. It's quite fascinating, yeah. really, the politics of that. Yes. So um, tell us about the Pushkin Press. If you... You are you a don't, you don't sound like a publisher who invites submissions. You go out and find things in translation that have already been published. Is that how it works for you? Uh, well, no. We um for start we don't only publish books in translation. So we um and we do publish English language original stuff as well. In terms of uh, how we get our submissions, I mean sometimes they're submitted to us by agents. Um, a lot of the time they come from translators who do a really valuable job in the you know, not just in translating books but in finding them and championing them and in you know um often you know they're the they're the ones who have the first idea that I you know this book deserves to be read in in English. Um and yeah, and then there's a good amount of just um kind of rummaging around and finding things which is very enjoyable. And before your colleague gets deluged with unsolicited um, mm. submissions, uh, mm. anyone listening to this who has a manuscript, do go and read what they want on the Pushkin yeah. Press website rather than just send it in because, you know, um, it can be a bit of a nightmare for the editors if things come at them from all over. Yes. So, um, mm. Daniel, yeah, I don't want to get your colleague in trouble. But, Daniel, <laughs> when we um, finish our podcast we always have a section where we have a little think about where in all the fantasy worlds that we've met be it in books or on film or wherever would it be the best for something and we've done all sorts of different subjects from where's the best place to get a magical sword or best place yes. to go down the pub but with you I thought where's the best place to be a publisher now I think we probably have to expand the definition to include bookseller or book creator, otherwise we might be very limited on our, our choices. But have you had a chance to think where you would like to sell books? In which fantasy world? Hmm. Uh, I was trying to think about, yeah, I was, I was trying to think of uh, literary locations in in fantasy worlds. It was quite fun. Um, 
something that really that came to my mind was um, Terry Pratchett, Ank Morpork, and the, the the library actually, the Unseen University that has the amazing uh, orangutan librarian and is full of all sorts of uh, uh, magical grimoires, um, etc. Um, so that came to my mind, and also, uh, if you don't mind me plugging another one of our books that's coming up this often. Um, there's a wonderful German fantasy um, title called Bramble Fox by an author called Catherine Tordassi. Um, we're publishing it this autumn and it's, even though the author is German, it's set in, uh, in Britain, in Wales, uh, and uh, it's really informed by British mythology and actually a lot of the classics that I've already mentioned, she has a real love for those too. So it's really interesting to see those reflected back by a German author. Um, it's brilliant. Um, I think people will really, will really love it. Um, but in, one of the protagonists of that book is called Ben, and he's a, a young Welsh boy who uh, works in a bookshop with his mum. And so, what I really like about the story is is that uh, he's having this um, amazing magical adventure. He goes through into fairy, the fairy world. Um, encounters all sorts of peril and he's experiencing it and viewing it through the lens of um you know tolkien uh and all these other classics that we've been talking about so he's kind of seeing this story through the prism of these these books that we already love um which i think is really interesting and anyway in in this fantasy world he finds a an amazing uh again a library called a place called world's end which is a kind of like a skyscraper driven down into the earth, just full of endless uh, new books for him to read, which is like his idea of heaven. I thought that was such a lovely, such a lovely idea. Um, I really enjoyed it. As for where it would be good to be a publisher or bookseller, yeah. well, that's a bit tricky. <laughs> I, I think uh, for me, I would, I would really like to. Um, it's, it's probably a lot of our listeners are shouting this out at us. I'd quite like to be in Diagon Alley and oh. have a bookshop down there um one that doesn't get blasted by death eaters um yeah. but yeah that sounds quite fun that's a great answer <laughs> but you know uh, that's where i would pick well thank you yeah. so much daniel for talking to us and giving us a publisher's perspective and particularly bringing to our to our attention the um books that we may not be aware of because of a english language bias that uh, mm -hmm. you know happens uh, and we'll put a link to the press in the show notes. People can go and check out what the Pushkin Press gets up to. But so thank you very much for joining us and uh, look forward to reading more of your books, hopefully for review. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been great fun. Thanks for listening to Mythmakers Podcast. Brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. Visit OxfordCentreForFantasy.org to join in the fun. Find out about our online courses, in-person stays in Oxford, plus visit our shop for great gifts. Tell a friend and subscribe wherever you find your favourite podcasts worldwide. Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? 
or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class. Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace, starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing.